My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with you. Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah, so who are we talking about today, Matt? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this brand new episode, episode 56. I hope you enjoyed the last episode with my man Sean Beaupre getting into that synchronicity. And if you like that, if you like more of that, please go over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. That is where you'll find all the info. You get the lowdown on what's been up in my life and maybe how you can change yours you know because this podcast it's not just about the topics that make our families think we're crazy it's also about improving your life taking this spiritual quest so that you can find that same synchronicity or attraction to your higher purpose that I've found being uh, the booker for Tinfall Hat and Zero has brought me so much opportunity. And uh, really, my philosophy, my ideology, the preparation that went into researching all of these things for years and years and years, that's what laid the foundation for that opportunity to arise and the right person for the right job, you know, and I didn't go to school thinking I would ever do something like this where I'm finding interesting people for Sam Tripoli to talk to and getting to know this community of people that I feel kin with. I feel like I belong in this community. So I'm happy that you're here listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with your host, the one and only Mark Palmer. That's right. And you're going to be hearing more from my girlfriend, Tara. She wants to be a part of the show, and I want her to be a part of it as well. Uh, In the past, I've had friends on as co-hosts, and I think from now on we'll be having her on as a co-host. And hopefully my friends will still join us every now and then when the guest is the right guest because they do like being a part of the show, and I love having them on the show. And uh, today... I have a new friend on the show. His name is Dan, Dan Danunaki, him and his homie Romy, my man Roman from the Rising from the Ashes podcast. Dan is 
one of the two co-hosts on the Rising from the Ashes podcast, and he was kind enough to sit down with me and discuss a subject that I truly love, the origins of humanity, the true philosophy, the esoteric knowledge that tells us who we are, what we're doing here, and where we came from. The story specifically revolves around the box saga, but, you know, in traditional podcast fashion, we kind of meandered around the topic and connected a lot of dots. It was a really, really packed conversation. If you're a note taker, get that notepad out. This is going to be a podcast to take note of. A lot of key words. If you guys ever want the spelling behind any of the words that are said on the show, reach out to me. I'm always available. I love talking to folks who listen to the show. I got an email from a guy this week who uh, was really cool and said, hey man, I'm actually from a similar area. I'd love to sit down and share my story with you. I encourage that. If you guys want to get in touch with me and share your story, please do so. I would love to hear from you. If your family thinks you're crazy, I would love to know why. Uh, it's not just a catchy name for a show. It's true for me. It really is. <clears throat> and the, the beautiful thing is that you know, the show's title came from me kind of having this alternative philosophy, alternative look on life. And for the longest time, that seemed to be, you know, bringing me nowhere. At least that's how it seemed to be for my parents, right? You buy crystals, you buy books. What are, you, what are you wasting your money on all this stuff for, right? What is this going to? You dropped out of college, you read these books, you're smoking pot. What's this all for, you know? Well, I have a purpose, folks. And if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you'll get some clues. But it's all unraveling for me. And I think this spirit quest that I'm on is something that everyone can take part in not my quest but their own quest and maybe by creating this map you can follow those guide marks to the uh better <laughs> grassier greenier the greener grassier side of things you know get to that better glass half full side of your life because everybody can strive for better everybody can improve and everybody has a purpose here on earth i truly believe that and when you find your purpose the universe responds kindly and the universe responds with synchronicity signs and symbols that lead you to those opportunities like the ones i've had to get to know all these great people in this podcasting space you know it started back when i was in a communications class and i was like wow i really like talking uh to people about things i care about and i had a teacher that encouraged that so it was great the college really wasn't my thing which is why i dropped out but so much has happened since then you know 26 years old folks I'm on this journey. I'm talking to people twice my age about concepts like this, and I'm really feeling more and more at home. Uh, so without straying from the point here, <laughs> Dan Danunaki from The Rising, from the Ashes podcast, a really, really intelligent guy, really fun to talk to. We've talked a bunch since recording this podcast, and I plan on doing a podcast real soon with his co-host one-on-one 
And then, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens from there. But I know I can tell that Dan and I are going to do more shows together. So if you like these subjects, if you like the topic of today's conversation and you think you have something you can add, you are valuable. As a listener of this show, I value you. So please email me mfticpodcast at gmail.com that's mfticpodcast at gmail.com that's the best way to get in touch with me you can also check me out on instagram at myfamilythinksomecrazy.com or i'm sorry <laughs> on instagram i'm at myfamilythinksomecrazy that's it we also have a website myfamilythinksomecrazy.com but if you really want to get in touch you want to get in the scene and see what is there to be seen, the unseen and the seen, come on down to patreon.com slash MFTIC. Sign up there. We just had four people sign up. Shout out to you guys. Uh, you will all be getting a sticker soon. If you sign up for the Patreon, send me your Addy. Send me that address and I will send you a My Family Thinks I'm Crazy sticker. Thank you for the support, folks, and uh, enjoy this conversation with Dan Danunaki from the Rising from the Ashes podcast. There is only one planet or one plan in root language, and that is the one we live on. All the other heavenly bodies like Mars, Saturn, or anything else observed in the night sky were considered to be stars and reflected light from those two sons. Then one day, the smaller sun exploded. After the explosion, it cooled down by increasing its volume. In the process, its consistency changed from homogeneous plasma into magma and water vapor. The magma was the core of the new planet forming like the yolk of an egg. The Earth's crust cracked apart, forming the separate continents. After this, the lower areas filled up with water and thus formed the seabeds. The higher parts became land with all its mountains and valleys. You can also think of this as the cosmic egg. This creation story being told like, you know, the egg yolk and the magma and that process of an egg forming. What you see is the one love, one world, and one heart, you know, and the shared consciousness. Gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Mark, rolling solo today. We've got a real, real interesting topic coming from an incredible guest. His name is Dan. He's got the Rising from the Ashes podcast with his man, Roman. Cool dudes. I just met them this week, and I'm excited to get into this because Dan mentioned something 
that I have been fascinated with for a long time. And it connects to many of the things I'm fascinated in, but specifically what we're talking about today has to do with Gnosticism, Druidism, Norse mythology, hollow earth, even maybe potentially the origins of man. And it's summed up as the box saga, this gentleman, Jim Chesner, who I heard first talk about it on the Higher Side Chats podcast. Please check that out if you haven't already. Jim Chesner, apparently, according to him, was the last person to hear this story from an actual member of the Bach family. But this is, I mean, there's so many pieces of this story to unfold. First and foremost, Dan, how are you today, man? I'm good, man. It's my birthday. All right. I'm 40. All right. Happy birthday. Yeah, I started off this morning by going to the acupuncturist and having a nice little relaxing session. And I feel energized and happy and just ready, ready to go, man. Right on. So tell the folks a little bit about Rising from the Ashes and, and how you got started. Obviously, you wanted to, to get a podcast going. You got interested in all this stuff. But was it something you've been interested in your whole life, this sort of mythology and, and different uh, ways of looking at history? Okay, so yeah, this is a long question. So I've always been fascinated with mythology as far back as Egypt. Like I, on my arm, I have like a, a sleeve tattoo of uh, different Egyptian gods, and there's actually a phoenix too. So I've been, yeah, since I was a teenager, probably about 12 or 13 years old. My father passed away when I was 12 years old. My mom forced me to go to church. Through going to church, I had lots of questions, and I just started questioning everything and questioning religion. <clears throat> because for me at that time, I, I was like, how, how could an omnipotent God take away my father from me. So it, it didn't make sense to me. So I was trying to find answers that they didn't have for me. And at about that same time is when I found Egyptian mythology. And then I started looking into it deeper as a, a real mythology instead of just surface level. And I started to get into more mythologies, Roman mythology and Greek mythology and Norse mythology. And I got really consumed into the aspects of religion and just studying different religions, reading them. I read the Bible. I Later in life, I talked to Mormons for probably a year and a half. Just they'd come over to my house once a week and we would just talk st- about their religion. I, I just I'm fascinated by the by religions and and the fact that they all have so many things in common is also really interesting absolutely uh, i think somebody asked me the other day you know what what would i be if i if i didn't have the job that i do have and i thought about it for a second and i i, I probably would have been an archaeologist i mean if i had i known when i was a, in my teenage years like what what type of things inspire me now? I probably would have done that and, and probably learned how to write or something so that I could write books and do archaeology. And, and because just finding these things, like even when I find little threads that connect, I'm like, oh, my God, how come I didn't know that, you know? And so to 
to find to like be on the forefront of discovering history would be an amazing thing to me. So don't I mean don't underestimate <laughs> yourself, man. It's never too late to write a book and and, and <laughs> a podcaster, where better to hone your skills of language, right? I mean, yeah, you're just getting into it, but I'm sure by the time you're hundred episodes or so in, you're gonna be like, Oh yeah, I probably have some things that I could write down into a book. Yeah, like, who knows, man? I mean, I always thought too, like I'd be really good on the radio. I mean, uh, not to say like I hate hearing my voice, my own voice. But everybody always tells me I have like a good deep voice. Mm. So I always thought like, oh, I'd love to be on the radio because I know a lot about music also. Yeah. Uh, but, but music. Not, uh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to I was going to try to maybe circle back to the, the religious and spiritual studies you've done. And I mean, that's okay. something that definitely puts you apart from the rest. I mean, most people would go to church, not really consider that, you know, there's anything higher than what the priest is telling you. And I myself experienced the same thing that you did. I went to church. I was kind of forced to go there. I didn't want to disappoint my grandparents, you know, so I would go every Sunday and every week I would, you know, loathe it. But it was sort of a good thing because it pushed my mind into these areas to question that I might not have otherwise, you know, and, and I definitely think my interest in religion and spirituality came from that kind of boredom that was <laughs> provoked by sitting in that Roman Catholic church, you know, on the pew and kneeling and all this mm -hmm. sitting next to your smelly grandfather, you know, it's like, it, it doesn't appeal, but over time, cannabis came into my life. I started to realize, wow, there's something more, there's something deeper here, but, when was it that you started to notice that universality? Because you're absolutely right. There is something universal about all of these teachings. It's like all roads lead to the same truth. Sometimes you, you can maybe guess. It, it wasn't right away. And, and the whole, you know, exploring religion things took, you know, 10, 10 years or something like that. You know, it wasn't all at once that I just started figuring out about everything, but I, I started putting it together probably after I started reading Sitchin books when I was about 24 years old. That's when I read like all six of his books from like 24 to around 28. I read, I read the whole series and I started getting into the Sumerian stuff because it was like the most ancient text you know and then at about that same time there was like the pyramid code from robert bouval and ancient aliens and I, i've watched all the ancient aliens i still watch them mostly just for the architecture and for all the ancient sites that they talk about on there um and i was really into ancient aliens for a long long time and i believed aliens probably did seed human civilization and I, I guess I kind of got out of that just recently in the last couple of years when I started to, I, I started getting into podcast listening about three, three to four years ago. And once I started listening to podcasts, I was inspired to do more because I already had this like, you know, this knack of studying and watching videos on YouTube. That's pretty much all I do is just watch hist history channels type stuff, you know? And so once I started getting in 
the podcast <clears throat> and hearing people talk, I was like, oh, I know about that. And I know about that. I could add on to that too. And then just, you know, having that general feel of being able to like have like a radio type of show. I was like, man, I, I should really think about getting into this because I have so much stuff in my head and I have nobody to really share it with. I need an outlet to like, just get the information out of my mouth. So that way it doesn't, it doesn't just roll around in my head. Yeah. Like a boilerplate. You just boil. <laughs> yeah. I listen, I completely agree with you there, man. And that's kind of been my experience with podcasting is I had that sort of suppressed feeling of like, all of this is brimming out of me, but everybody I talk to about it is kind of like, dude, I don't care, you know, because yeah, people, nobody really cares in your immediate circle. I mean, there's so many people in the world. It's hard to find those same like-minded people in your direct vicinity. But once you open yourself up, you don't underestimate your value as an intelligent thinker, you know, and you realize like, oh, I do have something to add to the conversation. And like, hundreds of millions of hours of podcasts get listened to every day. So there's no competition at all. So welcome to the club, man. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> really, truly glad you're here. One of the things that you had mentioned is ancient aliens. And I share that same sort of feeling that you kind of hinted at. And I know off air, we talked a little bit about this, but I think ancient aliens and this idea that aliens as these technological Roswell kind of sci-fi beings, it just seems really fishy when you truly understand what these ancient texts are saying, because they talk about beings from other places. They talk about beings with great abilities. They talk about beings who have helped us and intervened in strange ways. But when you look at what the government's doing, to mm -hmm. kind of flaunt these ideas. And then when you look at the Smithsonian Institution's history of covering up artifacts, and then you see that they're the ones who own the History Channel, and they've been basically promoting ancient aliens for on a 24-7 loop on History Channel 2, if yeah. that channel still even exists. I haven't watched cable yeah, in a while. Yeah, so yeah, and and last time I checked, it was pretty <clears> much a uh, you know at least ten hours a day of ancient aliens, and you know that's no coincidence, folks. I mean, the television, you know, that's why podcasting, like Dan kind of expressed here, is so potent because it's not going through any gatekeepers. I can start this on my own, get my ideas out there, and nobody can really stop me. And yeah, okay, that could be bad, you know, whatever. There could be some nut jobs that say a bunch of crazy stuff, but you're an intelligent person listening to this. You have the ability to discriminate that for yourself, right? The television companies don't give you that. They mm -hmm. think that you're too stupid to judge for yourself, so they pick what programs get, you know, they or that at least they do their marketing research and try to figure out what the average <clears throat> person likes. But if you're coming to this podcast, you're not the average person, you know. So yeah. welcome to the real. This is an authentic dialogue. And really, <clears throat> I think what's so cool about podcasting. And, and after I say this, we'll get off of the podcasting topic. But you're allowed to have an open dialogue and not always go to a conclusion. 
right? Mm-hmm. I've spoken to guys like Jason Burmis, Isaac Weishaupt, who've had the opportunity to be on television as a conspiracy theorist. And the, you know, Isaac was telling me, yeah, I don't want to do that kind of stuff because they always want you to take an extreme position. They want you to say, yeah, the government controls the weather or yeah, the Illuminati is stealing all your money. You know, like they always want you to take an extreme position. But here, when we're talking about ancient history, there's so much information to unravel. It's not about conclusions. It's about the questions. Because it's about the questions, exactly. They lead to more fruitful questions and more fruitful questions. And then you find yourself with this rich base of knowledge to really have a deeper conversation. And and ultimately, like, are there any conclusions in life? No, I don't think so. We're always in this ever-changing now. So why would knowledge and information be any different? So in that vein, in that light of open dialogue and open discussion, what are your thoughts on aliens and ancient culture and how <clears throat> how they fit into this kind of place in, in, in our history and our origins? So when I was so one thing I realized after the fact when I got out of the the alien cult is that it's the same as religion. Because what you're doing is you're still giving that power, your own power, to something bigger than you or other than you. You're not giving it to yourself. You're still giving that energy away. And I think that's the biggest problem that I have with it now. And and what I'm trying, I'm still searching for answers, you know. And, and so in a way, I'm, I'm trying to find out how to give that power back to myself mm. and make myself that power again. Right. And, and, and you can do that. And there's ways. And they're like Buddhism is a really good religion. I don't even consider it a religion because they don't do deity worship. They just believe that their self is God and they're trying to awaken awaken themselves into the higher self through chakras and meditation. And I, and I, I kind of believe that that's the best way to go, even though I, I don't, I don't subscribe to a religious doctrine, but meditation is a very helpful tool in the process of discovering yourself. And also, I mean, some people say drugs will help that process too. I, I don't, I don't do some of the harder drugs, marijuana is about the highest I go, but that's enough for me to think clearly and, and, you know, look at other things. Ancient aliens go, the thing that gets me about the ancient aliens thing that I can't, it's hard for me to shake is the fact that you have so much of it in ancient history. You have these, you know, cave drawings of things that look like UFOs and, I mean, a UFO is a very simple oval shape, so it could really be anything. But you also have these paintings from, you know, the 1600s of, you know, somebody in like some capsule flying in the background and talks. And then what's I forget the name of the God, but it's in like Mexico it's a Mexican God and he's inside of that. What looks like a rocket ship. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know, or at least some sort of technology. Yeah. I mean. But, but rocket ship or UFOs doesn't denote 
aliens either. Right. It could it could just mean technology we're unaware of. Mm. So so there's a, you know there's a lot of different aspects of ancient alien stuff that makes sense, and then there's things that are like ah well I don't know about that. <laughs> and well, and the point you bring up about being empowered, I feel like that for me is one of the first checks I make, like when I'm discerning or judging something that may or may not be true, especially when it comes to like something about history that might be like an all encompassing theory, like, oh, aliens built all these megalithic structures. I like to think about, well, is that from a position of lack? Like, is that a disempowering thought? And I think in that regard, it is kind of disempowering to think that we as human beings couldn't do those magnificent feats without the help of some being that's outside of ourselves. And, you know, the sort of pop culture will tell you that, Oh, aliens have been around since the Roswell, you know, but in actuality, we know that there's recorded history of beings of all sorts, not just ones that supposedly came from space, but from underground, underwater, Mm -hmm. You know, cultures all over the world have stories of beings who they interacted with, who a exchanged with them knowledge, sex, you know, all sorts of different like things like technology and you know goods, plants, animals. There's thousands of stories <laughs> that talk about these sorts of relationships between indigenous peoples in certain corners of the planet or, or ancient peoples and places that are more developed who have uh, a relationship with these otherworldly beings. And, and it's important for me to say otherworldly because that's all we know about them is that they're not of our direct human world, whether you want to define that as the third dimension, whether you want to define that as the animal kingdom that we're a part of, according to these scientists, you know, but either way, they're not a part of our, you know, natural world It's supernatural. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, always been you know at first it was like oh yeah aliens built the pyramids but over time i've really kind of honed in on like no our true human origins are being suppressed that's the crux of it and they're going to throw all these wild theories out there to get us off the trail but the point is is that our true human origins why we're here who created us you know what the future holds. Those are the big questions they don't want us to know. And I think what's so interesting to me to bring it back to the box saga, what, what Jim Chesner said about the box saga in his higher side chats interview was that books are read from front to back, right? You don't start at chapter 50 and go to chapter one. And as we know history, typically in school, they tell us, you know, kind of in reverse, like, oh, this is what's happened in the past 50 years. This is what happened in the past 100 years. And we kind of have a better knowledge of uh, like what's happened more recently than we do thousands of years. They're kind of guessing the further back we go, whereas the box saga starts with the origin of humanity. Right. And it's been passed down through this family in the last person to hold this knowledge was Eeyore Bach and he shared it with his friends because he obviously felt like hey I got to preserve this if if there's no one else in my blood to to take this story on there was there was a date that he was allowed to share it his 
wow. The, there was two women that taught him. I, I believe one was his, his mother, one was his sister, and they shared the information with him, and they would sit with him for, I forget how many hours a day, and make him remember it. It took him like 20 years, and then they said, at this certain date, you're allowed to share this information and so he did in 1984, he shared the information with the world. And a lot of it was through audio tapes. And just recently, they actually put a book out, I think 2019. So just a couple of years ago, actual book came out where you could actually read in there what all the things that it, that it says and its claims. One of the things I think you have to look at is religion too, when you're talking about history. Because the religious suppression of history, because the Bible says that humans can only be this old, even though we know that the world's been here a long, long time, right? They talk about dinosaurs being around billions of millions of years ago, but only humans, humans are new. Humans are only, you know, 7,000 BC or 10,000 BC or after the ice age humans were around and we find a lot of anomalies that don't correspond to that. And how do you, how do you like Yonaguni, that giant pyramid that's underwater off the coast of Japan, they say the last time water level was that low for it to even be built was 20,000 years ago. I mean, which is so that's also 20. they date Globecki Tepias, right? Almost 20,000 years ago, I believe. Uh, I think it's uh, dated to about 10,000 BC, so 12,000. And there's actually a place next to it that they say is even older. Really? And Globecki Tepi is only 5% unearthed right now. So it could be huge. They have no idea how big it is. But back to Yoni Yonaguni, I mean, that's amazing. 20,000 years ago would have been a time when the water level was low enough to make that building possible. I mean, that's something we've talked about on the show a lot is this idea that the coastline as they are now are much higher up than they used to be in this proto-flood time, this pre-flood time. The pre 400 feet. Right. So there's all, and, and if you look at, how humans organize their culture and their society. It's along coastline and coastlines yep, and coastlines. And, you know, for the most part, that's where you see, you know, these really interesting structures. You have the Bimini roads, you have all this activity around the Bermuda triangle. And you have, you know, like you said, off the coast of Japan, I'm sure there's probably lots to see around Easter Island and maybe even Hawaii. Right. And mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. further on, I mean, there's so many places around the, uh, the oceans that are so undiscovered uh, and unknown. I mean, it's the just Am Amazon. And, and, and they've been using FLIR, right? This laser radar to go beneath the jungle because obviously the Amazon jungle grows so fast that mm -hmm. all of these megalithic structures were that were there are still there, just covered in vines and plants and all these things that grow so rapidly. But with this laser radar, they're able to actually map out some of these uh, these megalithic structures that are still yet to be really looked at mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating. But I kind of cut you off there. Yana Guni, do you have more to say about that and, and some of these megalithic structures? Uh, I mean, the, the only other thing I can say about it is when people go look at it, a lot of people will just say, oh, it's not man-made. It, it's it's a natural occurrence but when you look at the video footage of them underwater showing you you see edged corners like a pyramid you see staircases or walkways you see what look like could be some form of a statue yet it's all natural yeah, it's somehow it's some kind of rock or coral formation. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. That. <laughs> and, and, and that's the problem. And, and if you listen to like these archaeologists and stuff, they always say, you know, they're anybody that's on the fringe of these ideas, their ideas will get shot down immediately by other archaeologists. And okay. usually these other archaeologists are getting funded by national egyptian you know archaeological whatever yeah for sure yeah. i heard about this guy and and that's why people like graham hancock these things so that you're not under personally i think the sphinx has to do with water and it was probably a lion and it was probably a lion in like a pond and maybe there's water overflowing into into where it's at because if you see a lot of fountains nowadays, they're usually either lions or dragons. And uh, lions and dragons both play a part into the whole bloodline aspect. And, yeah. and Scottish and Welsh, and they have the lions, and you also see a lot of dragon symbology. Yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering if maybe it could possibly be an ancient fountain and have something to do with the fact water is a female energy, I believe. And it encompasses everything, even the cells in our body. And we're made up of a lot of water. So it's life-giving. So it has that female aspect to it. And so they do a lot of as above, so below. That's why like Taj Mahal, you see the Taj Mahal, but then you see the reflection of it in the pool of water. Yeah. You know, so so there's a there's an interesting possible connection there. I, I don't know for sure. That's well, just the, speculation, the but yeah, the theory I've heard that was interesting and, and kind of resonates with some other things I've learned is that the Sphinx was built when we were in the age of Leo, right? Yeah. Now we're in the age of Aquarius. We left the age of Pisces. You know, Jesus was the Piscean sort of figure with his, you know, two fish. Even to this day, you can see that fish symbol on people's bumpers, you know, symbolizing Jesus. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of connections. The the lion, though, in particular. Sorry, go ahead, Dan. I, I feel like I, something you want to add. Oh, sorry. I would, I would hold fast to the fact that it probably is thousands of years old, more so than what they say. I think they say like 3000 BC. I think it's probably more closer to 10,000 if it if it is even that young it could possibly be even older than that right cuz what you see around the world is these ancient pyramid structures but they're all dated to around 2000 or 3000 and even like in Mexico and South America they date them to like AD period like 2 or 300 AD it's like how 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 do these exist then in the two or three hundred AD period, 
but we still we don't know how they were built yet we have a whole thing of their whole civilization but yet they don't say how they built them but they have pictures of them but they're not telling us how they did it Mm. seems weird it seems like they probably found it found it took it over and repurposed it or something and they're actually a lot older than that because you don't you don't see the technology and they have to fit it into that that time period so they date it to a time period that's relevant and 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 the way you date you can't even date these gigantic rocks you have to date stuff between the rocks dirt or uh mortar or whatever to figure it out and those could have just been from repairs during those time periods so there's no true age there's the ages that they say aren't I just don't believe that they're accurate and they're probably built in the meth megalithic time period, or even during the ice age. And when we get into box saga, box saga says the ice age, which is 50 million years was the Atlantis period, the all land ice period. So they could, they could be built, during that time period who who really knows so you know the box saga says humanity has existed for millions of years hundreds of millions of years if the ice age was 50 million then the paradise time would have had to have been before that 50 million year time period that gives me a good in though because what you mentioned about how they kind of your suspicion about how they reclaim these older structures as their own that's a huge theme with the tartaria research yes yes really kind of really got my mind going because when you even look i mean you're on the west coast i live on the east coast so might be a little different but here on the east coast there's a lot of buildings that just stand out and they don't have extremely megalithic features like you know, off just looking at them, but some of the foundation stones that make up these capital buildings, you know, mm-hmm. very interesting. And what connects even further is this process of taking a mound structure that was revered by whatever culture was there and building on top of that. This is a process that, you know, Ross Ben talks about called geo necromancy, where they take ley line maps, they figure out where the power areas are. And coincidentally, of course, indigenous tribes all over the world know where these places are as well and build sacred things in those places, usually that aren't too, you know, incongruent with the land, you know, usually like a mound where it's just a lot of dirt piled up and to make this really awesome structure that stands out in a normally flat area. Well, the reason why they're repurposing these areas is because the energy is already harnessed in that area. Mm. Cause when you look at the plots of these buildings, they're put into they're put on these ley lines these this electrical grid that goes around the planet so they're they're harnessing the energy in that area so that's why they have these spiritual places or people feel like awakened when they go into them or when they're near it they they feel that magical aura so of course they're repurposing the buildings and keeping them because they have that feeling there 
it's a happy feeling. It's a good feeling. So they, they keep it and, you know, reuse instead of building somewhere else. Right. Because that's, it's, that's the, that's the point. That's the node. Right. And, and, and the, the process of empire is to civilize or, or con- con- colonialize. I don't want to say civilize. That's the worst word to use. Colonialize the area, right? And then take it over and homogenize it with its own culture. And that's what they do even down to these amazing features of the land. Because as human beings, we are connected to the land around us. You know what? When, mm-hmm. when you look at what's trending right now, with our society it's people getting back to the land people going back figuring out how to farm figuring out how to forage garden all that great stuff and being self-sufficient because that's the natural way to be that's how every animal in our environment is in a symbiotic relationship but also surviving for self right and i think that's something that's really dawned on me and how that relates to history it's like in our past we can find truth about how we can naturally harmonize with nature. Like look at these megalithic structures, look at these, the feeling you get when you go to these sacred places, there's no coincidence there. And then the fact that empire has kind of warped it a bit to give power to their techno structure that's been created, especially in the past 200 years, but it's been going since Babylon. I mean, really to connect it back to the Rastafari. I mean, we are in modern day Babylon, you know, like they've created our culture and used religion to keep us in this kind of ignorant state to our own ascension and enlightenment. And I think that these cultures all around the world with these sacred structures and places, they give us clues to, to that truth about our human origin and our, our birthright and who we really are. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. I really want to look more into Rastafarianism because I don't know a whole lot about it other than what I know from reggae music, but but from reading the box saga and knowing a little bit about reggae, there's there seems to be some crossover right there. Like if you listen to Jim Chesner, he seems very like Rastafarian almost, you know, he's a, a self-admitted Gnostic. He said, you know, he lives his life the Gnostic way, you know, and, and I think that that's the theme you see with all of these cultures that are close to the land like rastafari you know and mm-hmm. you mentioned ross ben who better to learn about rastafarianism yeah Ben, he i don't know how much books he has on the topic but he certainly has that vibe overall yeah yeah because what you see is the one love one world and one heart you Which know and the shared consciousness that. It connects to the box saga. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. The universe, right? One world, right? And and the box saga tells us that there's one sun, solo, solar, right? And one moon, mono, right? One, one. Yeah, and solo, and mono. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and there was one other. But the one thing that I heard that maybe you can expand on better than I could is that planets and stars... You know, what's the distinction? Because according to the box saga, planets are stars. I think they just say, I'm not a hundred percent sure on, on that. Exactly. I do have it right here. I did just read it. So just give me a second. Let me. From? They actually do say that there was 
two sons. Now that kind of connects and relates to what Ari Asselin. Yes, the best. The, the Saturn, Saturn's old, yeah. uh, way of being, which was like this huge kind of star that like lit up the sky and, and, mm-hmm. and pulled all the planets in this one Birkeland current that made it appear like each planet was kind of in between the planet Earth and Saturn, because as we're all kind of orbiting around Saturn in this straight line, you know, you would see the planets in between us kind of levels in the sky up to Saturn, which is really interesting when you consider what you hear about the spheres of consciousness. Every, you know, you send these spheres like the uh, tetragrammaton. Is that what it's called, right? The tetragrammaton. No, no, no. I'm thinking of the uh, the Kabbalistic, you know, tree of Kabbalah? life. The tree of life diagram. The Kabbalah. Yeah, the tree of life diagram in the Kabbalah. And, and how those spheres are kind of like, oh, you navigate from Chisad to all the way up to yeah. Isma yeah. or whichever one. I don't know if those are. There's a, there's a connection with that and Shakespeare and also with Oak Island. If you're, oh. if you're in, check out those lines. See now, folks, this is why the new podcast <laughs> that I started, Scene Synchronicity Experiment in the Ever Expanding Now, is so important because what he just mentioned, Shakespeare, is something that I had been thinking about. <laughs> I have a note on my desk. It says, follow up on Shakespeare mystery because I had heard Alan Green go into this and we talked on the phone a little bit about it uh, off air. But yeah, that, that's yeah, definitely synchronistic. I got to go and follow up on the Oak Island tree of life. And then also yeah. the connection. That's awesome. But go into the, what you're looking at here in this book. All right. Yeah, I will. So this is the creation story according to Bach Saga. So it says one story that was told to children the world over year after year on New Year's Eve was how planet Earth came into existence. According to the Bach Saga, the heathen people believe that in the beginning, there were actually two suns made up of plasma. So this can go into electric universe belief system also. A very dense and extremely hot homogenous substance. There was a big sun and a smaller sun. In addition to that, the moon and the stars. Here, stars is defined as heavenly bodies including what we now call, now call planets. In the Bach saga, there is only one planet or one plan in root language, and that is the one we live on. All the other heavenly bodies like Mars, Saturn, or anything else observed in the night sky were considered to be stars and reflected light from those two suns. And then, then one day, the smaller sun exploded. After the explosion, it cooled down by increasing its volume. In the process, its consistency changed from homogeneous plasma into magma and water vapor. The magma was the core of the new planet forming like the yolk of an egg. It was surrounded by cooling vapor, which turned into water like the egg white. The magma, therefore, cooled down more at the periphery and subsequently the earth's crust formed by decreasing its density and increasing its volume even more the earth's crust cracked apart forming the separate continents after this the lower areas filled up with water and thus formed the seabeds the higher parts became land 
with all its mountains and valleys. So you can also think of this as the cosmic egg, the, the, this creation story being told like, you know, the egg yolk and the magma and that process of an egg forming. So, so that's their create. There's, it's a bigger chapter, but people, I think everybody should go try to find this book and you can buy it off of boxsaga.info. And just read it. It's a good bathroom book to stick in the bathroom and just read a little bit at a time because uh, a lot of the chapters are like three, four or five pages. They're not even that long. You could read a couple of them, you know, one segment. And it's a lot of interesting, fascinating stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. And and join the conversation because like we said at the beginning of this, it's like, don't underestimate your own value as a thinker. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, if you found this podcast, add that to the conversation. If it's interesting, you know, get the book, join the conversation because guys like Dan and I, you know, we could use the help figuring all this stuff out. You know, it's certainly so interesting. I mean, the cosmic egg is something you hear about in many, many creation myths, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it just brings to mind so many things. I always, or at least lately, I've been very interested in the ideas of, of a realm. And when you look at sort of this cosmic egg or the, the tree of life and how you have the higher heaven, the lower world, or the middle world and then the lower world, you know, it just, it brings to mind again, this box saga where they say that humans come from this lower world. And like we said at the beginning here, we were taught to believe that, oh, this lower world is evil, hell, bad. You go there when you die because you're a sinner and you made the wrong choices and you only get one life. So you better make the right choices. You know, all these disempowering little parasitic beliefs that found their way into our culture. But the truth is that maybe possibly just like the Hopi believe they were from underground. The box saga tells us that humans come from this other place underground, right? Or at least like a hollow earth. Is that, is that coming from the same place or am I just general? So they do talk about, this centrifugal force in the creation of the planet that kind of creates this, like, what, what do you call an hourglass? It creates this hourglass shape, right? Uh, tornado is shape, but do, but tornado and tornado. And that is in the center of the, that's the pole. That's what the pole looks like. Okay. And you can go into the inner earth through that pole. Okay. So there is an inner earth. All right. Now we're now you're talking my language. Okay. Yeah. So inner earth. Can we expand right. on that? I guess the only thing I could expand on the whole inner earth part that it talks about in the box saga to my my knowledge right now is that they say that. Every 50 years, there was a new king. Mm. And every time there was a new king, they would fashion gifts. They would create gifts and art for this new king. And every 50 years, a new king would come up and the other one would be retired. And they would, so they would make all these gifts for him. 
And in this pole, the hole in the pole, they would put all these gifts from all these kings. And this area is called, I think it's Lemminkainen. And currently they are trying to excavate this area to try and find, uh, they say there's a, a golden door that is the entrance into this. And this hole that's there contains all these little rooms full of artifacts from all these kings of the Acer or of Hell or Asgard or whatever you want to call it, Udinma. Mm. Yeah. And so what they say in there is there's probably two million years worth of artifacts from all these kings made in solid gold. And I kind of is very interesting to me also because they say that like around, I think it's 1050 AD. They say that's when they destroyed hell, the Romans. And, and then 1600s is when like this whole Renaissance era starts where they have all these artifacts and statues. And I'm wondering if maybe, they stole some of these things and made it their own. And some of these artifacts that, you know, the statue of David and some of these other things were actually created by them and they got looted from. Mm, yeah. That's just a line that I haven't dug into too much yet, but it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I, I, been studying Rome in some way, specifically their role converting Josephus to rewrite history for the Jewish people and make them more amicable to the Roman Empire. And now I think that whatever happened there has stayed around in some way because you have all this information about Israel you have all this you know fascination with the apocalypse and all these groups that are trying to rebuild the uh, Solomon's temple you have conspiracy theorists who want to blame it all on the Jews you know so there is some topic there that's interesting that I haven't gotten into quite yet but to hear that Rome destroyed hell in 1050 AD I mean that is so congruent with a lot of what I've studied because they went to Ireland, they went to the British Isles and they basically fought the Druids, destroyed their culture, you know, and they did, I'm sure, the same to these proto-European people that were all over Germany and, and, and what's now Denmark and places like that. So it's really fascinating how this culture that is Rome has one foot in the past with Egypt and Greece and Alexander the Great. And then it's next foot in the future with the Vatican and modern day Europe. And we still see their influence to this day, like you described with even down to the funding that goes into what television shows and what narratives are in those television shows. And some group that <laughs> we like to talk about a lot here and, and on other podcasts I like is the Jesuits. You know, I think they're, definitely connected in this somehow 
I'm still just beginning to figure all that out. But when you go into the Tartaria stuff, I mean, the Jesuits were all over the United States in the 1800s, as well as the Freemasons. So it's just very interesting, you know, mm-hmm. how our history's been rewritten, how the box saga has been forgotten. And I think it's just these stories that are kept among certain families like this or secret societies that used to be more prevalent but as time goes on the empire's tentacles extend and less and less of this information is readily available but it's still out there folks it just takes discernment and uh curiosity and some compunction to seek it out you know and i think guys like yourself are are really inspiring me to do that more because <laughs> you clearly have done that you know and happy birthday man 40 years oh uh, thank you yeah yeah shows you're very wise and you know a lot about this stuff <laughs> let's go back to something you said earlier what what did they call the sun and the moon solo and mono yeah solo mon yeah yeah there you go connecting the dots and solomon's temple is supposedly <laughs> built with the same or at least it was originally built with the same dimensions of the human body right because just like we talked about everything that functions within the whole totality harmonizes is also following those sacred geometrical numerical equations that create natural biological life yeah man also on my own non-related to box saga but trying to figure out gods I did some etymology Mm. and I'm not sure if it's real etymology or just fake etymology that I made up in my head. (laughs) But what I did was because I'm not even sure that it's etymology. That's why I say that. What I did is I just took the names of old gods and I tried to see what words I could find with their names in it. So, like, you take the word Lu, L-U. That's lunar, right? Luna, lunatic, (laughs) Lucifer. Yep. And it all has associations with the moon. Mm. And in Bach Saga, it says that there was a king named Ra and his consort named maya who went to hindustan and they were the king and queen of hindustan and they later ra left and went to egypt and became the sun and he was no longer the moon and jim chestner says he has no idea why he did this but he said he was not very he wasn't liked very well and this gives me the whole idea of what we see in the bible of satan and god and you could even put this into enki and enlil when we talked about anunnaki in our episode one and two on our podcast we we talked about who enlil and who enki were so you see those different names for lucifer as being associated with the moon. And a lot of people will say that it's a female, it has female energy, but Venus is the consort of Lucifer. So they are connected, but Lucifer is not Venus. And Lucifer and Satan 
Satan is the adversary, right, of God. And in Bach Saga, they say that Odin is the sun mm. and Ra is the moon. So an adversary is something that stands apart or against or in, I forget what it, uh, the word I'm looking for there, but the moon Polarity. is, yeah, the moon is always on the opposite side of the sun. So the moon is the adversary to the sun. So that's another interesting connection that I was able to get from reading the box saga that, you know, I didn't really think about other than from when I heard this. And then even the word EA is in the word earth. It's in the word ocean. It's it's there's several other words that it's in. I had a whole list on my other phone and then, you know, you can get into raw and Ray and Ram and a lot of different connotations to that effect. I, I ask people to, you know, if you're interested, just write down some God names of gods and, and see what words you can find with it. Cause you know, they talk about spelling and how spelling is uh, a form of magic. And when we say these words, we're actually producing the energy. And so when we say words with their names in it, we're giving our way, our energy still to these creator gods. So it's, it's, it's another interesting aspect that there's, there's so many different things, like even ball and, you know, football, basketball, everything has a ball in it. Ball lance, right? The, the yeah, ball lance. Yeah, they say the word was in ball and a lance means it was up and down. It was perpendicular. That's when the world was in the parad- paradise when the sun shined everywhere amongst the whole world mm. and we were all one people until the ice age hit and then people got trapped in the north in the ice and they developed white skin and blue eyes and fair hair. And so it actually in the box saga, it is saying that you could call it a mutation or an evolution, whichever you want, but that's what happened. We were, all dark-skinned, hued man. We were all human. We were all hued men until the ice age. And we lost, Caucasians lost the pigment and the melanin because they were in the Arctic. The Arctic animals, if you look at Arctic foxes, polar bears, you know, white hair, blue eyes. Even the birds. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it lends credence to why there would be fair-skinned people because they're adapted to a colder climate, wow. uh, which is also why you get you see a lot of moon worship and sun worship because they had to tell they had to tell time so they knew when to crop their fields because you know six months of the year it was winter. Mm. Or even sometimes nine months. That's why, like, when you watch the show Vikings, they're always looking for fertile land to farm on because in, in the north, it's so fucking cold. They can't, they can't contain their crops. So they're, that's why they always are journeying out into other lands to try to find just farming. So that, there's another aspect that, you know, I, I haven't really brought up anywhere Oh, yeah. Uh, so. and, and that's the thing. Like, I think people are starting to catch on if they've listened to this show enough and probably other shows that etymology is really 
an important, I wouldn't want to call it a skill, but to understand etymology would be a skill that you can utilize in this type of research. And even down to the word astrology, right? We have ass like Asgard or the Asser. Yeah. People true logi, right? Astrolog, true logic, right? True uh-huh. belief, logic, belief, the logic, right? So this is, you know, and when you think about what astrology really is, and how it shows you, you know, the influences of these different heavenly bodies and how they affect you. You know, I've noticed it's rings true with me. You know, I live by my intuition. I, I think I'm in harmony with that. And astrology has always kind of helped in certain ways. If you have the mind to understand it, you know, that logic, mm-hmm. to understand the true nature of our reality. And uh, yeah, I mean, the connections are really, really dense. I mean, they're just all over the place everywhere you look. Even that connection you made about the fur for polar bears and foxes, seals as well. You don't Mm -hmm. see that in Antarctica. You know, there's penguins up in the Arctic. You see that. So yeah, I would definitely think that there's something there. And yeah, I I mean, I know a lot of people who are interested in the flat earth stuff, they have their theories on what Antarctica is and what the Arctic is. And I, I personally am not interested in going too far into that stuff. But when you consider what Admiral Byrd said about his flight into this pole, right? This center, mm-hmm. it kind of fits into what you're saying. You know, he went through this place and then all of a sudden he was on the other side. It was lush. It was green. There was great, huge people, you know, and if there are these places inside the earth where these Kings come from, or maybe these gifts come from, I mean, what came to mind when you're going into that is like, what if this is a metaphysical thing? Like our soul goes there. It's a different dimension. So, you know, hey, do you say that? Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of like where I think a lot of people get hung up on when we talk about this stuff is like, if you try to imagine all of these things as purely third dimensional, you know, you're trying to like measure the moon with a, with a ruler, you know, like you can't apply that type of measurement to something of that scale. And when we're talking about dimensions, you can't use third dimensional logic to try to explain fourth dimensional things. And in this case, I think we might be talking about like an entrance to the fourth dimensional portal in the earth or something along those lines. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe we can wrap up there uh, on your thoughts on that. Cause I know it's your birthday. You probably got a lot going on today, so I don't want to hold you up too much. Oh, let let me, let me bring up one more thing. And that, that it, it'll tie in all of this real, real nice. Cool. The word angel if you look up the etymology of that word, mm-hmm. it means it comes from the word agel, which means a bull running in a circle. So the word angel means circle. And if you look at what all these people from the north built, they built these circular structures everywhere, right? And in the box saga, it talks about the ring lands and the ring, Lord of the Rings, the offer ring. They had these rings, and what Atlantis was, was three rings, right? The three rings of Atlantis, the three rings of the circus, of the circuit circle. Yeah. So you have a lot of these circle references, right? So, and then the word Anglo comes from the word angel. Yes. 
And so when you look at like archangel, you could say that that could mean Arctic angel, yeah. Arctic circle. Yeah. So it takes you right back to the Arctic circle again. Yeah. And, and then when you see people like a uh, lot talks about these angels that visited him when he had to get out of, cause they're blowing up Sodom and Gomorrah, right? People say like, how did they know that they were angels? What stood out about them that made them angels? Well, if all the native people in the area are darker skinned and you have this dude with very fair skin coming in, that's, just a name that they called them. It has no connotation, but they came from Udinma. They came from the Acer. Mm. They they were there's four cardinal angels. Also, they go out to the four cardinal directions yeah. from the center of the Acer. So yeah. you you have all these denotions to and you know we can say whitewash all day, and there probably is a lot of whitewashing going on. I, I don't denounce that, but you see these angels always depicted as, as fair looking with, you know, whites, white skinned. So, and, and I'm sure there's many conspiracies behind that also. And a lot of racial prejudice and all that stuff. And I'm not trying to be racial in any sense of the word or at all. I believe we're all one people and we all come from one place and we're all the human race Absolutely. And and we should all get along. And really, there's only, you know, there's some groups or some peoples that are holding us all down. And it's very interesting that they come from these certain bloodlines and, and you know, and they're the ones controlling even the other Caucasian people. It's not, it's not like none of us are being, con- are only certain groups. We're all being controlled by the same forces in this world. And once we all wake up and realize what those forces are and stop fighting with each other, then we can truly rise from the ashes yeah. and, and be one people again, you know, and, and destroy our masters. Yeah. And with that, Dan, my man on his birthday, coming here, kicking ass, taking names, talking about, Tartaria, ancient civilizations, and most importantly, the box saga, etymology, everything in between. And I'm sure you can find a lot more of that good stuff on Rising from the Ashes, the podcast. And like yeah. you said to me on the phone, you're planning on going deeper because there's so many levels to the box saga stuff and even Norse mythology in general and all that interesting mm-hmm. stuff that I know is it all it all connects, man. Yeah. It even it connects with the Bible. It connects with with the Hindu belief system. Yeah. It connects with it. It's everywhere. It's all encompassing. It's everything. It's it's another piece of the puzzle that we need to decipher what we where we live, what we live on, and and how we all got here. And I, I'm just using it strictly as decipherment, not to project it on to people like you know you have to believe this because this is coming from white people or whatever you know that's not the case at all and it's 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 very touchy because a lot of history is pretty fucking racist i mean look at slavery around the world i mean 
there's a lot of racist things going on in history, but we have to be able to talk about it. Learn from history, right? I mean, yeah, that's the only way that we can heal too, is to be able to talk about it and not get angry at each other. These aren't things that I did or, you know, or you did. These are things that happen from our ancestors and we, we need to get right with that, you know, and, and that is by understanding and gaining this knowledge. That's how we get right. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, tell them where to find you, any links or anything like that, that people can come obviously rising from the ashes podcast. You can find that on anywhere you listen to podcasts, except for Apple, except for Apple, Apple won't accept me. Oh, yeah. No. No, they haven't accepted me. Mostly Podbean, Spotify, Google, yeah, I think I'm on a couple other ones. I, I can't remember all of the ones I try to use sign Podbean. up for. Yeah, it's on Podbean. Okay. If you go to rising under slash FT under slash ashes under slash pod on Instagram, it has a link to our podcast episodes. Hmm. And, and we, we post on their homie, the homie Romies into plant medicines. And so we, we post new plants on there all the time and some holistic stuff. And every once in a while, I'll post some pictures. One of the recent ones I posted was of a lizard called a Tuatara, Tuatara yeah. lizard. Yeah. And it has that. a third eye in its head. And I mean, you can look deeper into that and come up with many, many conclusions, Tartaria and <laughs> yeah. third eye and consciousness yeah. and awakening and all a lot of stuff. So, and it says that it predates the dinosaurs. It's like 250 million years old. So it, it's very interesting that it fits in with the whole timeline. Box Saga 2 and the ancient people, the ancient ones, the serpents. And so maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Yeah. No, dude. <laughs> something. I love how you gave people a little teaser. Go to the Instagram. Check that out. Information. <laughs> But, dude, this has been a fun conversation. I hope it's the first of many. I have Yeah, I say we do it again. I say we do it a lot more because there's a lot to cover here, man. Absolutely, dude. Well, I'll let you go. It's your birthday. Have a great day, man. And with that, folks, thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. You heard a little hint about what's seen and unseen. If you want to come see more, go over to the Patreon and support this show. And also, please don't forget to support my man, Dan. And check out him on Instagram and anywhere that you like to listen to podcasts. Personally, I use Podcast Addict. It's the best podcast app. app. It's the best app. And I'm sure you can get Rising from the Ashes there, right? It's on there. I got it. Absolutely. So with that, folks, have a good now, wherever you are in the now. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.